not sure if uh, children you're familiar with this Christmas story. It's not from the Bible, but it is about Bible things. It's called The Not-So-Wise Man, and I'm going to read it to you. It's a great story. Ashtar was wise, the wisest man in the land, so people said. He lived alone in a tall, wind-swept tower at the top of a hill. People came from far and wide to listen to Ashtar's great learning. They crowded into Ashtar's tower, sitting on the stairs and peering through the door. Ashtar told them about a time to come when a great king would be born. A wise man should be ready, he said, for this child will come from heaven itself. When the last visitor had gone, Ashtar climbed the winding stairs to the top of his tower and gazed up into the sky, as he did every night. The stars shone like a spray of diamonds. Ashtar knew each one and counted them off in his head. Suddenly he stopped. His heart leapt. There in the midnight blue was a sign he'd been waiting for, a new star in the sky. He ran downstairs. He threw his scrolls and clean pyjamas into his bag. A wise man travels light. The star was calling him to follow. The king from heaven was about to be born and Ashtar longed to see the child for himself. All night he journeyed following the bright star. He crossed great mountains and crept by villages sleeping in the pale moon. At last he crossed the plain and he met some other travellers dressed in rich silks and furs. We have come a long way and our camels are tired, they said. Do you know anywhere we can find water? Ashtar put his ear to the ground and listened. He stood up and sniffed the wind. Over the hill you'll find a pool of water where you can rest and drink, he said. The travellers marvelled at Ashtar's wisdom. They asked him to join them on on their journey. We too are following a star. Why not come with us? But Ashtar shook his head. A wise man travels alone, he said. Eager to be on his way, Ashtar left the travellers and set off on his quest again. The next night, Ashtar heard voices calling at the edge of a wood. Three shepherds came out of the darkness carrying torches. What are you looking for? Ashtar asked them. One of our sheep, said the shepherds, it's run away. Ashtar pointed to a tuft of wool caught in the bush. Follow the trail into the wood and then you'll find your sheep. The shepherds found the sheep, just as Ashtar had said. They begged him to stay and stop and warm himself by the fire. The night is cold and the road is long. Stay with us and talk a while. It's not often we meet such a clever man. Thank you, but I must go on my journey, said Ashtar. A wise man has few words to spare. So Ashtar rode on his way, thinking it must be the wind singing so softly over the hills behind him. Before long, he reached a small town where the streets were crowded with people. He knocked at the door of an inn. The innkeeper stuck out his head impatiently. No room, we're full up. How many times do I have to tell people? Ashtar smiled. A wise man would put a sign on the door. That way he could get some peace. The idea had never occurred to the innkeeper. He wrote no room in the inn on a sign and nailed it to the door. The next people who came to the door, though, they didn't knock. They saw the sign and turned sadly away, the man leading his donkey with a pale and weary woman on his back. The innkeeper watched them go, delighted. 
he'd get some peace at last. To show Ashtar his thanks, he promised to find him a bed for the night. Past midnight, Ashtar woke up. The star was shining through his window, filling his room with silver light. Ashtar dressed hurriedly and went out. He walked through the still street searching. Perhaps it was this very town that the child from heaven would be born. At last, beside a small inn, he came to a ramshackle stable. Ashtar could hear cows lowing inside, grazing under the tree were a donkey and a flock of sheep. He wondered who could own so many animals. But it was no business of his. He had come looking for a king and he wasn't foolish enough to think that a poor stable was the place. Sighing deeply, Ashtar turned back and went on his way. The wisest man in all the land was going home, none the wiser. It's a great story, isn't it? I just love that story. What's your favourite part of the story? I love that picture there, where he's stumbling down the stairs after finding his first clue, not forgetting his clean pyjamas, because a wise man travels light, so we're told. Based on this first hint, the clue, he's off on a quest to see the king of heaven who's about to be born. And this story and the Bible stories of wise men and shepherds tell us something very interesting about God. And so we're going to explore this very briefly, explore what the stories of the not-so-wise man and the biblical story of the shepherds and the wise men have to tell us about God. And the first thing these stories tell us is God wants to be found. And because God wants to be found, he leaves hints and clues scattered through, uh, through nature, through every culture and every other religion. So we're going to go on a bit of a treasure hunt and find some examples of these clues that God leaves behind. Firstly, nature. God leaves clues to his existence scattered through nature. Every sunset or mountain range that takes your breath away is a clue to the living God. The beauty and a peace of an orca quietly circling around a swimmer is a clue. Have you seen that photo that was in the paper just a little wee while ago of someone in New Zealand, I forget where it was, they were swimming and an orca came round? I just saw, I just looked at that photo and thought, that person has seen a wonderful fingerprint of God. Amazing. The explosive power of stormy seas crashing into a cliff you know, all that power, that's a clue to the living God. Years ago when I was studying science at university, I'd often sit at the back of my biochemistry lecture amazed over the intricacy, the balance and the interconnectivity of the, all the biochemical processes in just one simple cell. Without a doubt, nature is beautiful to gaze upon. It becomes more beautiful when we understand nature and absolutely stunning when we realise when we look at nature we're looking at the hand of God. God leaves many clues in nature. And there's also culture. God leaves clues to himself in every culture. I'll give you but one example. Don Richardson in his book, The Peace Child, describes his work of sharing Christ with some isolated African tribes. He and his wife Carol took ages to learn the language and their ways. And then imagine their surprise when they learned that the tribespeople, they saw Judas as the hero in the Easter story. Why? Because in their culture they valued betrayal and trickery 
They thought those things were wonderful. But still, Don and Carol persevered, and later they discovered an unusual custom between warring tribes. Now, to make peace between warring tribes, one tribal chief would give up his son to the opponent's chief to raise. And this was like a legal contract, the handing over of one son to a a warring or an enemy chief to raise. And the child was given the name the peace child. So in in that culture amongst those tribes, if you talked about the peace child, they would straight away know what the chief had given up. And so Don and Carol learned to tell the story of Jesus as the peace child, the child that came to reconcile uh, warring parties, God and humankind. And eventually over half the tribe come to understand Jesus as their own peace child. And so this is just one example how God leaves clues about himself in every culture. And then there's religions, other religions. In Jesus' day, the religion that dominated was the worship of Greek and Roman gods. So in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul wants to tell the people of Athens, the centre of this religion, about Jesus. However, the people of Athens find the idea of a crucified God absolutely foolish. But Paul did not give up. And while exploring the city, he came across an altar to the unknown God. There were so many gods, they thought, what if we're missing someone out? So this was the catch-all, just in case. We Paul saw this as a wonderful opportunity, so he declared to the Athenians that Jesus was this unknown God, and they'd been worshipping all the time. He even quoted from their religious writers, their poets. And Paul sums it up like this. God did this, leave clues, God left clues so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Because Paul was able to connect the clues to God, a number of those who listened that day followed Christ. So, just like the not-so-wise man saw the clue in the sky, so God gives us lots of clues in nature, culture and religion. Now this all leads to an important question though. If God leaves these clues about himself, why do so few people find him? If there are hints all over the place, why is finding God so hard? And again, the not so wise man gives us the answer. Our pride prevents us from finding God. You see, the not so wise man was very proud of being so very wise. And in the last picture of the story, we see that his pride prevented him from finding the newborn king they'd come all that way to find. We're almost like, I read that story and say, turn around, (laughs) turn around and open your eyes. But even if he had, his pride would get in the way. His intellect told him that the newborn king would have to be born in a palace, into luxury, parents would be kings and queens, Surrounded by uh, servants and attendants, his wisdom told him that the birth would be announced through the land with heralds and proclamations. In his mind, there was no other way. So in his arrogance, the not-so-wise man missed Jesus completely. And this is our danger. In our self-reliance, in Kiwis, we pride ourselves on our self-reliance, on our self-reliance, our pride, 
our arrogance, we run the risk of missing Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth about these things. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And that's why we have Christmas like we do. So unexpected and very poor and humble conditions because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You see, to the world, the king of heaven, born in a major to later die on the cross is the height of absurdity. It's foolish to the extreme, completely unthinkable. And this sees many people miss Jesus twice every year. They miss Jesus firstly at Christmas and then they miss him again at Easter. Every year they miss his birth and his resurrection. And you see, God lays a mystery before us at this Christmas and every Christmas. A mystery. On the one hand, he liberally scatters hints and clues in your life that point to him. While on the other hand, these hints and clues appear foolish to the proud, to the self-reliant, to those wise in their own eyes. But to all those who are humble, who know that something's missing in their life, to all those who know that they can't make it on their own, they're the ones that by God's grace pick up on the clues. And so here is both the good news and the challenge of the gospel at Christmas. The good news is we're offered life in abundance. We're offered adoption as God's own children. We're offered the joy of walking with Christ day by day if we only humble ourselves and seek Jesus like the shepherds and the wise men. Our challenge is not to be like the not-so-wise man who in his pride missed all the clues. See, that is the mystery, the challenge and the joy each Christmas. Let me leave you with this last verse and then I'll be done. It's the words of Jesus and it's the words that he is speaking into all those with humble hearts who will put aside their self-reliance and look to him. Jesus said, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. No matter what amazing gift you found under your Christmas tree, or will go home after church and unwrap today, No matter what amazing gift you've got, nothing is as wonderful and amazing as the gift of Jesus' invitation to you this Christmas. Let's pray.